Hey, good morning, FCF. It's so good to be with you this morning, especially you that are online. But that means all of you, doesn't it? We're all online. Um, starting a new series with you this morning, it will be a three-message series, and it's called Going the Distance. Now, going the distance is kind of a familiar term. It's sort of a sports term. Uh, you know, you want to finish strong, all these kinds of things. But I'm using it in a very specific way. When I'm talking about going the distance, I'm talking about looking at one's entire life and making sure that we finish our race or we finish working out the purpose for which God created us. We become who God meant us to become and we do what he meant us to do. I mean, finishing strong. And so that's what this series is about. I'm just going to share with you three important components of that. And uh, I'd like to start this morning by raising the question that I think every human either asks out loud or we you know, subconsciously ask it at times. And that would be this. What can I expect? Uh, what can I expect out of life? Now, let's take it on a separate level. What if you are one that has put your trust in Christ and you are now a follower of Christ? Then that question becomes even more pertinent. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, now that I'm on God's side and I know that he's on my side, what can I expect? Uh, what can I expect of life? Expectations are very powerful things. Let me tell you a little story to give you an example of this. Uh, there was a husband who decided he wanted to really bring a wonderful surprise to his wife. So he's prepared his plan and he calls her up from the office and he says, look, he says, I want you to meet me at the airport tonight. I want you to be there at seven o'clock. I want you to know I'm going to take you away for three days. It's going to be the most wonderful surprise for you. You're going to love it. And she says to him, she says, well, well what are you, wait a minute, three days, where, where are we going? He says, no, 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 don't, don't ask any questions. Just bring a spirit of adventure and romance. That's all you need to bring. She says, but, but like, what should I pack? Just bring that spirit of romance and that spirit of adventure. So her thinking to herself, well, what if we had conversations about recently? Well, for a couple of years, she has told him she'd love to just get away to a sandals resort for about three days. So she's thinking, that's it. He's finally going to do it. We're going to sandals resort. So she's excited. She packs a couple of suitcases, not heavily. It's only three days, but she's got some nightwear, you know, and she's got her bathing suit and her short sets and all these kinds of things. And she dashes off to the airport and she gets there. He takes a glance at her with the suitcases, but it's, it's boarding time. So they get on the airplane. She at this point still doesn't know what's going on. He's had the tickets. It's a long flight, long. So she's becoming really excited as they go. And then she starts to notice uh, beautiful, beautiful terrain under them. It's obviously the Rocky Mountains. So now she's thinking, this is not sandals. Well, they finally land down. They get in a van and the van carries them for about three hours. Beautiful, beautiful country, but it's utter wilderness. They are in the Canadian Rockies in the most deserted places imaginable. The van lets them out in the middle of nowhere. She's got suitcases and she's prepared for a sandals resort. She stops, she looks at him and she says, where are we going? And he says, just bring that spirit of adventure and romance. You're going to love this. You're going to be so surprised. All we have is a three-mile hike, and then you're going to love it. And she says, no, the surprise is enough already, but it's not the kind of surprise that I was looking for. So here we have a situation where the husband was projecting 
his feelings and expectations on his wife. He was excited to be hiking out in the Canadian Rockies in utter isolation for three days, tenting. Uh, to him, that was glorious, and he thought that she would be thrilled with it too, but she's thinking sandals. She's expecting sandals. He's expecting she's going to be thrilled with the Rockies. Is a problem. It's a major problem. Here's the thing about expectations, folks. Expectations, they have a tremendous effect on our energy. Here's what I mean by that. If I'm expecting everything to go smoothly and nothing goes smoothly, well, what does it do to my energy? I start getting discouraged. I start losing energy. I lose courage. That's what it means to be discouraged. But if I'm expecting things to be bumpy and difficult, and they are bumpy and difficult, well, I don't lose courage or lose energy. I gain it because I knew this was going to be a challenge and I'm ready. So this just gives you a little uh, tip off of how important expectations are. So here's the question again. What can I expect as a human being out of life? What can you expect? What can I expect if you're a Christ follower in life? So I want to take you to a portion of scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. And so I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to give you some background once we get there. But, but let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 4. We'll work through some things. And then we'll pick up and work through all the way through verse 11. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross. Mind you, this is the second time we've heard that word endurance. It says run the race with endurance. Here it says, for the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him, meaning Jesus, who endured, third use of the word endured, think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls, key word coming up, two key words, and give up. Let me say it again. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls, and give up. You have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin. And I'm going to pause there. So, there's an awful lot going on in this passage, but I'm going to give you some historical context. Now, the book of Hebrews is very, very unique, and if you don't know the historical context, it can be very alarming. It's written in 67 AD. Why is that key? Jesus, in about 30 AD, the best we can tell, 30-31, was crucified. Just days, five days before he was crucified, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, he was with his disciples, and they were viewing the temple. Uh, they were awed by its extraordinary beauty. Herod had spent some, you know, 46 years, a couple Herods, actually, in renovating it. And Jesus says these shocking words to his disciples. He says, you see this, this temple? Not one single stone will be left upon another. So in Matthew 24, verse 1 and 2, Jesus said that temple would be torn down. Why is that important? Well, here we are 
It's about 37 years later, and the temple is still standing. In 67 AD, AD, the Jewish temple was still standing. You're going to see why this is important in a minute. So picture you became a follower of Jesus in 30 AD or 31 when he was crucified. You knew that he predicted the temple would be destroyed, which is a tremendous sign to the Jewish nation that no longer was God working through them to reveal himself to the world. And yet, here it is, 37 years later, and that temple is still standing. That's not the rest of the story. During this time, you as a Jewish person who has become a follower of Jesus, you have experienced enormous persecution. Let me give you an idea. Let me take you in Hebrews chapter 10 and read a couple verses to you. I'm going to start in verse 32. It says, But remember the former days when you endured, there's our word endurance again, a harsh conflict of suffering after you were enlightened, meaning you were enlightened that Jesus was the Messiah. At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions. Other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. For in fact, you shared the sufferings of those in prison and you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy because you knew that you had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence because it has great reward for you have need of endurance in order to do God's will and so receive what he has promised. So these believers were experiencing uh, social ostracism, economic uh, difficulties. Their families were disowning them. They were being persecuted in numerous ways and this thing was dragging on. It was dragging on. And their Jewish peers were mocking them because they were saying, oh, sure, he said the temple would be torn down. Oh, sure, he's the Messiah. Look how everything is going just as it was before. And the whole book of Hebrews is written because these first Jewish followers of Jesus were starting to waver. They were starting to question. They were starting to wonder if they could finish the course or had they made some enormous mistake. Maybe Jesus wasn't Messiah. Why were things so hard for them <clears throat> if indeed he was the Messiah? And why was that temple still standing? Now here's the important thing to, to know. 67 AD, the temple's still standing. These Jewish believers are wavering, but just three years later, if they would have endured just three more years, the temple in 70 AD was destroyed by Titus, a Roman general, destroyed forever until it will be rebuilt again, likely in our lifetime, to fulfill the prophecies that need to be fulfilled just prior to Jesus' return. So had they endured just three more years, but they were wavering, the book of Hebrews keeps talking about you've got to endure. Don't give up. Don't give in. Expect things to be hard. Now let's go back to Hebrews 12, and you'll see how this makes sense. It starts out, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud, cloud excuse me, for since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. The race set out for us is our whole life. It's the process of me becoming who God meant me to become and doing what he meant me to do. And I have to run it with an eye toward endurance. I have to adjust my expectations. Now, who is this cloud of witnesses? He said, you know, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. Well, 
If you were to read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it goes all the way back to Abel, and it goes from Abel to Noah, it goes on to Abraham, it goes from there on to Joseph and to Moses, and then it gives a whole list of people, but it gives a, a huge list of Old Testament individuals that put their trust in God and loyally followed Him, even though they were often persecuted and went through great hardships right into the end of their life. You can read about it on your own. Where you and I are reading the earlier versions of the Bible, before 1225, when Stephen Langdon first put chapter divisions in the Bible, 11 would blend right into 12, and we would know that that cloud of witnesses is talking about all those individuals in Hebrews 11. Please read Hebrews 11 sometime on your own, and it is a real eye-opener. So, we know that these individuals from Hebrews 11 went through not real easy roads, and they're praised because of their trust in God, that it endured, it was unshakable, they stayed faithful through everything. And so here we're called to have endurance. So when we ask that question, what should I expect? Jesus in Scripture is telling us we should expect for things not to be easy. Let me take you back to another portion of Scripture. Jesus talking the last night that he's with his disciples. He's literally hours from the cross. In John chapter 16, let me read you verse 1. He said, I've told you all these things so that you will not fall away. That was the danger of these Hebrew Christians. They would fall away from Jesus. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yet a time is coming when the one who kills you will think he's offering service to God. They will do these things because they do not know the Father or me. But I have told you, listen to this carefully, folks. I have told you these things so that when the time comes, you will remember that I told you about them. And then in the 33rd verse of that same 16th chapter, just hours from going to the cross, telling his followers, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have conquered the world. So when we ask that question, what should we expect? Jesus told his followers, expect things as my followers to be hard, not to be easy. Hence, we're called to endure. We're called to run the race with perseverance. Now, he talks about get rid of the weights. And the picture is, is of a runner in a race. And it's saying that anything, listen to this, my, my brother, my sister in Christ, listen to this carefully. He's saying anything that is slowing my progress down, slowing my growth in Christ's likeness, slowing my service to God, anything that's slowing me down, it may not be evil in and of itself, but it's, it's a weight. It's just slowing me down. If I'm running a race and I got a 50-pound belt around me, it's going to slow me down. So anything that has become a distraction that's keeping us from focusing on becoming who God meant us to become and doing what He meant us to do, that's a weight, and we're urged to, to throw it off, to get rid of the weight. The second thing he talked about was the, the sin that so easily entangles us. He says, um, get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. Now, what is this sin that, that clings so closely to us? Well, he's talking about that weakness that we all have or tend to have. That, that area where we are more prone to fall into sin. Now, the difference between a weight and a sin that we struggle with is that the sin will make you fall. If you're running a race and you get tripped up, something clings to you, you fall. 
If we don't deal with that particular sin in our life that tends to entangle us, we can take a bad fall. And when you fall, sometimes you don't know how long you're going to be down. You don't know how far that drift may be. Your conscience starts to cloud up. You start feeling uncomfortable with God. You start thinking in that all or nothing thinking. If I can't do it right, if I can't follow Jesus, if I can't make progress, I'm just not even going to try at all. I might as well just at least throw myself into sin and get some pleasure out of life very dangerous. And so to run this race, we have to expect we're going to struggle with things that may tempt to distract us. They are the weights, as well as sin, personalized sin. It's not the same for each of us. Your sin, your personal sin struggle is going to be different than mine, but we all tend to have them. We must deal with that. And God wouldn't tell us to do something if he didn't intend to give us the power to deal with it. So let's ask ourselves a question. What might be my weights that would impede my progress in developing to be the Christ-like version of myself? Or what might be impeding me, holding me back, weighing me down from serving God to the utmost in the way that he's called me to? What sinful habit might be tripping me up in such a way that it makes me uncomfortable with God and tends to more and more bring me to that place where I've got that all or nothing thinking. What might it be? We, we have to look at these things if we're going to run this race with endurance. So what should we expect? We should expect to have to deal with these obstructions and seductions to things that want to pull us away from our God-given identity and our God-given role and mission in life. The next thing he talks about is he talks about um, this notion of don't give up. Let me, let me focus on that. He says in verse um, 4, excuse me, verse 3, he says, Think of him, meaning Jesus, who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. I wonder how many of you have known someone that identified themselves for a time, for a season, as a Christ follower. And maybe they really looked fervent in heart. Maybe they looked dedicated in their life. And things went really strong for them for a while. But then somewhere, somehow, something occurred. <clears throat> and they walked away. They gave it up. And then you see them years later, and they don't even want to talk about it. They, don't even, they just feel like a fool that it ever happened. I, I've read articles recently about certain celebrities that they would laugh about it. They went through their Jesus era, they called it. But then they kind of awoken or awakened, and they walked away. Have you known somebody that was going strong or appeared to be, but then they gave up? That was the danger of these Christians that the Spirit of God was writing to in the book of Hebrews, just three more years, three more years in that enormous temptation of going back to Judaism, walking into the temple, offering animal sacrifices, it would all be gone. But they didn't know that. They had already endured, some of them, a long time, and they were getting weary. And that's where this comes from. So what should I expect? I should expect this to be a race that's going to be long. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so I have to be prepared for that kind of a race. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, and I think correctly so, why, Randy? I mean, why does it have to be this hard? I mean, if I've put my trust in Christ and I'm his follower, and if he is truly the way, the truth, and the life, the creator of the universe, the one that loves me more than I love myself, the one that is almighty and all-loving, <clears throat> why? Why did I, do I have to go through such a difficult journey? Why do I have to face so many struggles? Why do I have to be prepared to endure 
hardships and things of that nature. You might be thinking to yourself, you know what, if God is almighty and all loving, it seems to me he would protect me completely. He would make sure that my life is wonderful, delightful, safe, secure, and that I'd never have a bad day in my life. You might be thinking, you know what, if I could provide that for my child, if I had the power to do that, to protect my child completely, that's what I do. So why should I have to expect a rough road, a bumpy road, a difficult marathon? a race to run that's going to tax my, tax my endurance. Why? Why should that be? And that's the question I want to really probe into next. Why should I have to expect this? If my expectation, expectations need to be adjusted, that even as a Christ follower, my path is not going to be easy, and in fact, the normative path for the Christ follower is not an easy one, why? Why does it have to be this way? He could do something about it. Why isn't he? Maybe you're thinking of some of the losses that you have incurred during this, this period that we're in right now. Maybe you think of some of the mental, emotional, relational hardships that you're going through, and you think to yourself, why, God, why are you doing this? I've been faithful to you. I'm on your side. Why should I have to be going through this? Let's pick back up reading in the book of Hebrews because God tells us specifically he wants us to know. And I want to suggest something to you. There's an old, old saying. And the old saying is this, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Jesus told his disciples that last night he was with them. He says, guys, people are going to run you down. They're going, they're going to think killing you. They're doing a service to God. Guys, in this world, you're going to have real trouble. But don't worry. In me, you can have peace. I've overcome the world. Here we have in Hebrews prepare to run this race with endurance. Set your eyes on Jesus. Consider all the opposition he experienced from sinners. Consider the sacrifice that he made to abolish sin and so reveal God to the world that human beings could return to God and trust. He's saying, you now need to set your expectations likewise. But why? Why? Let's read on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons or as children? My son or my child, do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up when he corrects you. <clears throat> For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Let me say that again. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he accepts. And here's a key verse. Endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons or as children. For what son or what child is there that a father does not discipline? If you do not experience discipline, something all sons or all children have shared in, then you are illegitimate and are not sons or not real children. Besides, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers and respected them. Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the Father of spirits and receive life? Get this, folks. For they, meaning our earthly parents, for they disciplined us for a little while as they uh, as seemed good to them. But he, meaning God, he does so for our benefit, meaning our highest good. Why? That we may share his holiness. Verse 11, key. Now, all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful, but, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness 
for those who are trained by it. Boy, I have a lot I want to say to you about this. I have a lot. So when we ask the question, why should I have to expect this path to be difficult? And why should I have to expect to be sort of a one that endures? Well, the answer is, is that God says it's because he is more concerned about the character of his children than he is the immediate comfort of his children. And isn't every good parent like that? I'm just, just throwing something out to you. I'm going to tell you something. As a kid, uh, if you look at it from one perspective, I kind of had it made. I, I was like a, a, a wild child. Um, my mother, who I lived with half of the time, and my grandparents, who I lived with half the time, I could do whatever I wanted. So as a young kid running the streets all hours of the night, coming in whenever I wanted to, doing whatever I wanted to do, I kind of had it made. Nobody ever told me to do homework. Nobody ever told me when to go to bed, what to do. They just kind of let me do whatever I want. But was that love? Was that good for me? Or would it have been better to have parents that insisted that I do the things that are going to help me to develop long term? We all know the answer to that. So it says that when we experience discipline, now this word discipline is used four times. It's a Greek word. New Testament was written in Greek. It's, it's paideia. And what it means is this. It means it's the father's character formation technique. So let me read you a verse that, that puts lights on. It says, endure, endure. That's a Greek word, hupomeno, and it means, it's like a military term. It means you hold that military position no matter what it takes. It says, endure your suffering as discipline. What it's saying is, is that any kind of, you got you to hear this because some of you, 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 you've really taken some hits and God bless your hearts, man. I know, I know some of you, you're scared, you're suffering, you're, you're confused. So this is not meant to be hard. This is meant to give you an interpretive key to know that God is for you, not against you. This verse is teaching that whenever we experience suffering of any kind, mental, emotional, physical, financial, relational, when we experience suffering of any kind, not that we can't bring it wrongly on ourselves, but when we have not and we're experiencing it, it's saying God wants us to know this is part of his pedagogy. We get our, our term pedagogy from this. It's part of his training regimen. It's part of his, his discipline character molding in our lives. Suffering, we have to be willing to trust our God enough to believe he is able to use, I'm going to repeat that, he's able to use suffering to penetrate deeply and form our character, get our character at the deeper levels stimulated, catalyzed in ways that nothing else can. And he cares more about our character than he does about our momentary comfort. Hey folks, he's gonna comfort us perfectly for eternity. Now, before we are entrusted with great power to come in the age to come, he wants to make sure that our character will be sufficient to handle power in a, in a righteous, in a loving, in a sacrificial way. So he's focused on our character development. And so why should I have to expect some hardships and some suffering, and why should I welcome it? You're not gonna like this, but, it, but it, it, it'll, it'll be the key that opens the door for you. It means, literally, every time I'm suffering, whatever it is, every time you're suffering, we ought to see the smiling, loving face of a father. It's not him being against us. It's not him abandoning us. It's not him forgetting us. It's him literally coming very close and saying, I want you to see how much I love you. I love you so much. I am giving tremendous attention 
to your development. And so this thing that looks bad, that we don't desire, that we don't want to experience, it's in fact doing a good work if, if we read on, if we are those that are trained by it. So God is more concerned, rightly so, about our character than he is our comfort. Now, I want to take you to verse 11 because it is a critical part of this thing. I've read it to you once, but I want to read it again. It says, now all discipline, all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. Okay? But, it says, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. That word trained, the Greek word there, it's gymnazo. And we get our word gymnasium from it. It's saying that when we stay faithful to God during sufferings of all different kinds, during hardships of all different kinds, we stay true to Him, we stay obedient to Him, we stay faithful to Him, we stay fervently devoted to Him, His will, His work, His people, His kingdom. When we do that, when we allow the suffering to penetrate, to do its deeper work while we stay faithful, then it's, it's training us. The images of an athlete in a gymnasium so when we ask the question, what can I expect? I can expect a heck of a workout in life. And this workout, if I am faithful to God during it, it is meant to develop me to be strong. And to be strong means to become more like Christ and to be able to serve God and serve those he puts in my sphere of influence no matter what conditions I'm in. I want to just tell you something, folks. We're all going to be tested because God is a good father and he's going to discipline all of his children. He cares about us and because he cares, he will allow us to undergo these sufferings. The only question is, will we be trained by it or will we rebel at it? The concern that the writer of the book of Hebrews had was that these Jewish followers of Jesus were wavering and they were going to seek some way to escape. In their case, the easy way to escape would be to walk away from Jesus, go back to the temple, embrace their Jewish kin, and say, hey, we made a terrible mistake following this Jesus. We want to be welcomed back to the family. And that's the worst mistake. Don't think this is foreign to us. When we go through some things and all we're feeling as followers of Jesus is that life is hard, we're taking losses, we're taking hits, we're suffering relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically. If we don't know that the sufferings mean it's our Father's love, it's a manifestation of His love, not His abandonment or anger or punishment. If we don't know that, if our expectations aren't correct, and if we don't understand that, we too will be greatly tempted to walk away and to find anything that will bring us a little bit of distracting pleasure, and that usually ends up on a destructive path sooner or later. So, will we be trained by this discipline, this discipline that comes from a loving Father? I want to share a phrase with you that I jotted down, and I want to be careful to say it the way I wrote it. Experiential inner unity with Christ produces exponential inner development like Christ. Let me rephrase that to you or say it again. When I endure sufferings for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of faithfulness to fulfill God's will, then I can know on the inside what Jesus felt like. Jesus went to the cross 
in faithfulness to show the glory and the goodness and the sacrificial love of God to angels and humans, to change the universe, to break the power of sin, to bring human beings to the place where there was no barrier between them and trusting the Creator ever again, to bring human beings to the place where they could see that sin is not the spice of life, it's the poison of life. But Jesus had to endure the suffering for that. If we endure sufferings and stay faithful to God so that God's nature and God's truth can be known by our world, our circle of influence, then we're going to know what Jesus felt like inside. If you train like a marathoner, you know what the marathoner feels like from the inside. If you just read books about a marathoner, you have no clue what the marathoner feels like inside. Let me read it again. Experiential inner unity with Christ produces exponential inner development like Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying when we follow the path that Jesus followed and stay faithful, we will start to know what Jesus thought. We will start to know how Jesus felt. We will start to have an intimacy with him by experiential knowledge that will have a powerful transforming effect, catapulting forth our growth, our Christ-likeness. It's by the power of the Spirit of God training us as we're willing to stay faithful to God even in the face of sufferings. So, does this discourage you? Are some of you, when you hear this, and you're like, wow, Randy, so that's it, huh? Can't expect anything more than a hard, rough road? You know, and I know that's not true. Fact of the matter is, we that have lived in this country, America, at this time in human history, have probably had the most pleasurable, easy lives uh, of any humans that have ever lived on the planet. And so I am not for one second saying that God doesn't give us numerous, wonderful, joyful, pleasurable, enjoyable experiences, but I want you to have realistic expectations. Play back that little scene, that husband who had this grand surprise for his wife. She was going to love it so much. He's thinking she's going to like wilderness Canadian Rockies because he likes it. She's expecting Sandals Resort. So what happens? Neither of them end up in a place where they're happy or where they understand each other. Expectations are powerful, folks. If I'm not expecting what God tells me to expect, it's going to catch me off guard. It's going to break me down. It's going to steal my courage. It's going to steal my enthusiasm. I'm going to become confused. I'm going to wonder if God's angry, abandoned me, punishing me. Whereas if my expectations are aligned with what he teaches in his word, I'm going to know, no, the hard times, the sufferings are not only to be expected, they are a manifestation of God's intense loving care and concern to develop me because he cares for me as his child. And that changes. That changes the quality of my life. That changes my ability to take courage in each and every circumstance. So in closing, what can I expect in life? What can you expect in life? Have our expectations matched up with what God says our expectations should be. That will be the difference maker as to whether we find joy and peace and strength and resilience in each and every circumstance in life, that, that ability to face things and go on, or whether we get not just discouraged, but maybe altogether knocked out of the race and become just one more statistic of those that once seemed to be followers of Jesus 
but now no longer are. May that never be true of any of us. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing, that he hoped that that would not be the case for any of them. So, what can we expect? We can expect the same life that Jesus had. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and we're told to keep our eyes fixed on him. If we do that, we will finish the course in strength, and we'll become who God meant us to become and do what he meant us to do. FCF, join me in prayer, will you? Father, we, we thank you, first of all, that you truly are an intimately engaged parent, a father, and you're a good, good father. You don't just give us what we want to make us comfortable. You give us what we need. You are more concerned now about our character than you are our comfort. Give us wisdom and assurance the next time we get confused, the next time we go through suffering, that your loving presence is closer than ever, that, that it's a kiss on the cheek from you, our Father. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. FCF, have a wonderful day. Hey, FCF, one more thing before I go. Uh, for you that are on Facebook or on other social media platforms, uh, thank you so much for talking to one another, encouraging those that might be newcomers. And we're trying to start something new where we're going to have some people that will be there to pray for you. And so if you have prayer requests, there might be a way that uh, they'll explain how you can give those prayer requests to them. And we're going to be developing this more and more. But what we want to do, folks, is since we are forced into this social media online platform now, is we want to build the, the most loving community that we possibly can through, by using these means. So please, if you're on there, greet somebody, uh, share a prayer request, or be willing to pray for somebody. Thank you so much again. Goodbye.